You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we start in there this morning, Hebrews 10. 23-25. Before going into today's message, uh, just kind of like a heads up where we're going as a church uh, preaching. Uh, next Sunday we have a visited, visiting preacher. He'll be preaching through Psalm chapter 1. Excited to hear that message. We'll be spending two Sundays, kind of like a, a, a mini-series we'll keep going back to, Lord Renew Us. We're looking at Daniel chapter 9, Psalm 84. Five, and just, just a continued prayer, I hope, to put in front of you, Lord, renew our hearts in you. That's our, our greatest hope for ourselves, for our families, for our city, for our country, for this world, is God. And so th- those messages will kind of have that bent. And then after that, we'll be going into the gospel according to Luke, uh, starting a long, long climb. Uh, I don't know how long it'll, it'll take us. There'll be breaks in between, but really excited to start to get into the Gospel of Luke. That's where we're going here in the future. Uh, we just went through, even as, as Tanya mentioned, uh, the six distinctives. And, and Tanya, it just helps if you say it like 100 or 200 times. And I forget things all the time, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's all good. So the six distinctives, uh, and we looked at fervent. We want to be a church that holds to fervent prayer. We want to be a church that holds to bold preaching, again, by God's grace alone. Uh, we want to be a church that passionately worships the Lord, even as we did this morning. We want to ever increasingly be about that. We want to be about purposeful discipleship. Uh, not, hey, you come to the Lord, you, okay, now you grow up in Christ. You must grow into maturity. All of us, we're all called to do that. Courageous evangelism, even as we're doing those things, we need to make his name known wherever we are with whoever we're with. And then strategic church planning. We want to be a church that as we're doing these things, we want to multiply. We want to see uh, the gospel continue to go forward here in Canada, wherever he would use us to see churches started. And so this, this message uh, is, is really, um, it's part of it, but it's not part. Church gathering is essential. Because you think of all the things that I listed of our distinctives, church planning may be the exception, you need to be gathered as a church uh, for those things to happen primarily. Courageous evangelism actually is more going out. It's going out from the church, though we want to continue to share the gospel every time we meet. But if we want to see all those things happen, then there's an importance to us gathering together. Even uh, the essentials, we talk about redemption life, abide in Christ Grow in the church, reach our community. If you're doing those three things, you're growing in the Lord. Grow in the church. The church must be gathered for us to grow in together. This, this message, church gathering is essential. It's kind of, uh, one of one of the reasons why I'm sharing this is it's a reflection on the past few years. It's a reflection on the past few years just thinking all that has transpired as I just continue to search the scriptures, we as a church, we just kept gathering. But why, why did we do that? I want to I talk about that. And maybe you were, didn't keep gathering. 
Maybe you backed away and, and weren't comfortable, but I want us now kind of cooler heads prevailing. Let's reflect on that. Let's look back. Let's search the scriptures. Why is it so important that the church should gather together? So I want us to kind of look back and think about that. Like, remember the time when categories were made? Essential, non-essential, jobs, shopping places, hobbies. So that's why you get church gathering is essential, kind of taking that language. But then I also, as we want to look back and reflect, I also want us to, God willing, look forward and think through, would we do it differently? Would we think through it differently? Uh, So that's kind of be part of this message. And really, as I share, church gathering is essential. It's a statement, and I hope that uh, each verse and each statement is actually building evidence that you would say, yes, okay, I see it, I believe it. So hear the message, and, uh, and, and you can, we can all be the judge. Is church gathering is essential? Is that what it says in the New Testament? God give us grace. Uh, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to stand with me. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. writer of Hebrews says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Sorry, verse 22. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless his word to our souls. You can have a seat. Again, before going on any further, I'd like to again uh, seek the Lord in in prayer. If you want to pray with me. Oh Lord, I I pray uh, by your spirit that this would be faithful to your scriptures. This word would be not only pleasing to you, but you would use it to shape our hearts, shape our minds encourage us, convict us. Lord, if if there are things that we need to change, expose it. Lord, I I pray as I speak that you'd give me clarity in thought, in speech. You'd exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, even if I would expand on some points and, and not touch on others, Lord, give me wisdom even in this moment. As I proclaim your word, that you'd be honored, you'd be glorified, you'd use this to build your church, and we'd have an increasing conviction of gathering together as your people, that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. Lord, so bless this word, speak to us, give us open ears and open hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just, so just saying this to the, I don't know if any of you have ever watched a, a movie and it starts with like this event or something happening. And you don't really see the importance of it because then it stops and it goes back in time and you see this whole story unfold and then finally at the end it gets back to that same event and you're like, oh, there's so much more meaning there. I pray we're going to start in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. We're going to start in this passage briefly and then we're going to move on from there and then come back and finish there. Because I think the statement that's made there, I think the more that you hear the rest of this message It'll get a lot stronger as we come back to it in the end. So we're just in Hebrews to start. There will be multiple passages uh, that we'll be going to, kind of just searching the scriptures. Is, is church gathering essential? And if you know, uh, the, the book of Hebrews was written to uh, Jewish people who became believers. We call them Messianic Jews. 
They believed in Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but then they started receiving persecution. And so there was a group of them that they were considering going back to Judaism. So the book is actually written with that in mind. People who are like, they're Christians, but they were starting to like step back from the things of Christianity. Maybe gathering was one of those things that they were considering doing. So just looking here, though, at Hebrews 10, we're going to look at 24 and 25 for this moment. As we finish, we'll bring in verse 23. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love this. Let us consider, let us think about, let us stimulate or, or provoke one another to love and good works. There's this picture of like on your own, you're thinking about other people that you know who are believers. You're like, how could I encourage that person? Where is that person gifted? And I should talk to them about that. Where is that person, uh, maybe should they be serving or who they have in their life? That's, that's what's being said here. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Isn't that interesting? We can stir up one another to love. We're called to love. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the love of Christ poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, yet we are to stir up one another to love. We're to grow in love. And then God also has good works for us to do. So even the gathering together is actually supposed to help that move forward, to love each other in greater ways And then the works that we have to do, whether in the church or outside of it, the gathering together is supposed to spur that on. It's supposed to further it in us. And why do I attach it to gathering? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Because the next verse, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Right? The writer is basically saying, Hey, if you don't gather, if you neglect to meet together, uh, you will not as well as you should stimulate one another to love and good works. There's something that happens as you're all together that there's a natural outflow of stimulating each other to love one another deeply or grow in those relationships or the works that you have in front of you and that talking with someone else, encouraging, they see it, maybe you don't see it and you need to be about it. But the believers that it's written to, they were, maybe some of them were backing away. They're like, oh, I don't know how important is it? Because they were getting in trouble. They were getting persecuted for gathering together. They were getting persecuted for being Christians. And, and so they're like, okay, hey, maybe it's not as important as we think to gather together. And that term, gathering together, it actually means at a, a certain location, a certain place. Just think about this, right? The church Meeting together of the saints is in a location. It's, it's important, right? That's what the text is saying. It's not saying, hey, you can gather together like apart. There's the church gathered. There's the church scattered. If the church is scattered, it's not gathered. It, that makes sense, right? Because we, uh, over the past number of years, we started using different language. And as the church was scattered, we said it was gathered. And it wasn't. We need to be gathered. That's what it's saying here. Uh, let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. It's a warning against neglecting this. There's a, a few things that would come to mind why people, one, where they're like, hey, I don't, I don't think we really need to meet. There's more than two, but one is like Lone Ranger Christianity. Me and Jesus, a Bible, I can just do this on my own. And, and I'd say the New Testament would say something totally different. 
And I, and I hope this message will make it clear. And, and I can even confess myself, as I became a believer, and even I, I, I went to church and I left church. And I didn't meet anyone. I was trying to do Christianity on my own and failed many times. Just me and Jesus. It wasn't until later I'm like, oh, wait, there's, there's people that we're supposed to get together with that are supposed to help us walk closer with the Lord, the church. So Lone Ranger Christianity, just me and Jesus. No, no, it's essential that the church gathers. Maybe another uh, person who says, oh, I don't know about meeting, maybe they've been hurt by the church. And for sure, everyone probably in this room has multiple stories, unfortunately. Because we're sinners, saved by grace, but sinners. And, and there's too many stories of, of, of things happening the wrong way, not the way they should be. And, and we've all actually been hurt by the church. And I pray by God's grace that it, it, it won't happen in this church, but I'm sure it will. I'm sure people will get hurt in fellowshipping in this church. But that's not a reason not to continue to gather. Jesus says in Ephesians, looking at marriage, that Christ died for the church. He loves the church. So you can't say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, but I don't care about the church. Like, that's Christ's bride. Right? If someone's like, hey, I really want to hang out with you, but I hate your wife. I like, what did you just say? Think, think about that. So people are saying, hey, I'll follow Christ, but I hate the church. What did you just say? You cannot dis disconnect the two. So what, like, why meet together? Why not just online? I, I hope to pull that apart here as the message goes on. Just, just think about this for a second. Why does the persecuted church still meet at risk of imprisonment or death? In parts of the world where the gathering together of the saints, like, it's so dangerous, what value do they see in being together that they're, with, they're willing to risk imprisonment and perhaps death? What's happening there? Friends, I just want to make this statement, and we'll see, will this message back it up? Church gathering is essential to being a healthy, growing, vibrant Christian. Church gathering is essential to being a healthy, growing, vibrant Christian. I want you to see the gathering precedent I believe we see in the Bible. I'll be, again, listening to a number of verses. Just, I would say keep writing them down. Sometimes I'll try to slow down so you can turn there with me. Just There's a lot I'd like to cover here this morning. Think of the gathering precedent in the Old Testament. They met at the temple. They met at a specific place. They, the the Jewish people had to gather like three times together for different festivals and meet with one another throughout the year. They went to Jerusalem, a specific place where they would worship. Just a few Psalms. There are so many places you could go. Psalm 122, verse 1. The psalmist writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us, not by myself, let us go together to a specific place, the house of the Lord of the Lord. Psalm 84 verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a do doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be at that place, a specific place to meet. Then you think in Jesus' time, or even before then, if you know the history of the Jewish people, how in um, 587 AD, the Babylonians came and, and destroyed the temple uh, the Assyrians came before that. The Jews have been dispersed over kind of the known world at that time, though many came back. 
uh, 70 years later, but because the Jews were all over the place, even as the temple was rebuilt in King Herod's time, just before Jesus, the, the Jews started meeting in synagogues, in different places of worship where they could worship the Lord in song, where they could open up the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and teach one another. So they're already starting to meet in specific places, not all, always the temple, to worship, to learn, to grow together. So we see this Old Testament precedent happening, even into the time of the New Testament, the synagogue. And think of the example of the New Testament. Just the word church. In Greek, ecclesia, it means the gathered ones, or the called out ones, but the, the ones who are called out to meet, to gather for a specific purpose. It's in the word church. So again, just, and I'm going to hopefully unpack it a little better, but just think of the oxymoron of church online. If church means the gathered ones, and everyone's sitting at home by themselves, it's a contradiction. Think about the majority of letters and writings in the New Testament are written to local churches or leaders of churches. The New Testament would only understand a growing, healthy, vibrant disciple that belongs to a local church, a body of believers. The, the New Testament wouldn't understand like, oh yeah, there's, there's a believer who's, who's just out doing their own thing without the body of Christ and is growing exponentially. The New Testament would not describe that person, be foreign to it. Just look at um, a few scriptures here with me. Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. We looked at uh, briefly last week in terms of church planting. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, as you turn there. So it's just Peter on the day of Pentecost is, is shares this message. And, and people are convicted of their sins. They're like, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. But repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Right? Like, that's, that's how you enter into the church. It's seeing like, man, I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm a broken sinner. I can't do it. But Jesus did it. He did it on the cross, dying in our place, taking our sins. Everyone who would believe in him would find forgiveness. And so this mass amount of people hear this message from Peter, and they believe, and then what do they do after? Acts 2.42 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Be helpful as we think about what does the church do as it gathers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were together. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Again, they were meeting together. They were seemingly going to the temple courts, gathering together somewhere. They are meeting in each other's homes together. You can see that quite simply. The church comes together. That's what the word means. This is what we see. And just another example there in the book of Acts Acts 20, uh, verse 7. Paul on his missionary journey. Acts 20, verse 7. So the church has been established. Churches have been planted. He's going around sharing the gospel. What is their practice? Acts 20, verse 7. 
on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, that could be a, a, a love supper they'd have together, for sure to include communion. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. But just notice, I was on the first day of the week uh, that they gathered. And they gathered. They were, again, together. So maybe just a question, does it have to be Sunday when the church gathers? I think we, we want to aim towards that because the, the reason we meet on the first day of the week is because Jesus Christ died on the cross on the Friday, was buried in the grave, rose again on the Sunday, on the first day of the week. That's when he rose again. So every time we meet together on a Sunday, I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds the first day of the week. If we look at calendars, they're accurate. Right? Sunday is the first day of the week. And so every time we meet, we're saying, yes, we're remembering what Jesus did on this day. But does it have to be on a Sunday? Well, I'd have to say no. Ultimately, it's like, when can you meet? If you can't meet on a Sunday, we as a, as a church, just a year and a bit ago, we met for over a year on a Saturday evening because that was the only place that was afforded to us to meet and to gather together in how we did it and, and seeing each other face to face, face to face and face, face to face, I guess, as well. <laughs> But, but that, that is what we did, and it was a sweet time of fellowship, but the reason we met on a Saturday night is because we, we couldn't find a place where we could meet on a Sunday morning. But ideally, we want to meet on a Sunday if we can. But if you can't meet on a Sunday, what's the day of the week you can work to gather together? So now there's just, that's just an example of the New Testament, but now I want us to think, what happens when the church gathers so we see as the church came together, they were together, they were together. Acts 27, they gathered together. Now when the church is gathered together, what does the church do? And, and can it be done other times, other places? Why is it significant that it happens when the church gathers? And again, we could just summarize even the six distinctives, a number of them that we went through, just be highlighting. Well, the first, I, I believe, uh, teaching and preaching. So 1 Timothy 4.13, if you were with us in the springtime, we went through this book. Again, I'm, I'm going to move quickly. If you write them down, that'd be great. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your, your progress. Paul, at the end of his life, again, writes to Timothy. We looked at this a few weeks back. In, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, his days are numbered. Preach the word. In season, out of season. So we as a church, one of our distinctives, we want to be about bold preaching. Just, just think about this. Is it different than watching online or listening to a sermon? And if it's not, then none of you should be here because there's way better preachers that you have access to that you can just listen to their sermons online. Way more polished, way more years experience. And so just think about that. If it's not different, you shouldn't be here. But I would argue that it is different, that God is actually active in a unique way through the live preaching of his word. There's actually an interaction that takes place between preacher and audience. 
as I'm preaching, as I'm looking out, and I, I love to kind of look at the people I'm preaching at to see those who are listening, to see what's happening. Uh, if, when I see people who are sleeping, I keep looking. <laughs> Here, here's something to think about, though. Communication. There have done many studies on communication. They say communication is between 70 to 90 percent is, is nonverbal. That's an that's a astounding number. That to communicate properly, we're reading all these cues off of each other, tone, body. I know it's why you know it's kind of a one-way conversation, but even as I'm speaking, I'm looking at you and how you react. And sometimes I'll, you'll be preaching and you look at someone and they, and they look confused and so you press a point a little bit or, or you see someone filled with joy and encourages you to, to keep going. There's this interaction that takes place as someone's preaching. That's why it's vital even that you would see people's faces as you preach. And I'll share this about shepherding here in a second. I remember at the dome preaching and, and seeing this lady and she's just weeping. And her whole face is just riddled with sadness. I could see it. And so even as I'm preaching, I'm trying to preach like a, a comfort to her. And, and then I know after, hey, I need to go talk with her. But God does something very unique as the church is gathered together, the live proclamation of his word by his spirit that he does not do if you're somewhere else watching online or listening to a recorded message later. There's something that God does as we are gathered together. Church gathering is essential to the preaching of the word. Again, I just kind of talked about it, but shepherding and pastoring. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7. The writer wrote this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I think primarily this happens in the church gathered. Of course, it has to happen outside of that, but the, the leaders to speak the word of God and then also to be an example. You have to see them. You have to interact with them. It's, it's more than the church gathered, but for sure it's in the church gathered. Thirteen, seventeen. in Hebrews. Obey your leaders and submit to them. But see this, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The pastors, elders, shepherds, as, as the church gathers, there's a spiritual oversight that must be happening, that we as leaders will have to give an account for the souls of the people. And so as we gather together, we're talking with people, we're seeing people. Again, as I was preaching at the dome and, and saw this lady and she's weeping, I could go and talk with her after. I could meet up in the future. It begins there. Of course, it doesn't end there in terms of shepherding and pastoring. But to see people who are having a rough day or carrying a burden as leaders, to know that, to pray for them, to listen to them, to plan to meet up. I, I, I can't say that enough. It's like if we're going to be held accountable by God for the souls of people, man, it's so important that we, as we gather together, shepherding and caring for each other, of course, we're held responsible. It doesn't just happen with the elders and shepherds as we care for one another, as we'll look at. But church gathering is essential for the elders to pastor and shepherd the flock to know and see the people. What about singing? Is singing praise important? <laughs> I don't know. God gave us the Psalms. 
150 chapters. Not all about praise, but so much of it is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In song, with your voice, all that you can. Over and over again. It seems as I'm, as I'm reading the scripture that there are angels around the throne of God who day and night don't stop praising God for all of eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah 6 and, and uh, Revelation 4. They're always singing before the throne of God. Seems like singing is important. And it seems like as I read the scriptures, there are going to be times of singing to God for all of eternity. The saints gathered around the throne. I don't think it will be all singing, but it will be singing often to the glory of God. We are called to sing as we gather. If you'll just look with me at Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. See, I could just preach this message and not give you the scriptures. But I want you to see again, look at the scriptures. I want to build a case. Is church gathering essential? Does the New Testament claim that? Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And Paul writes this, and, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at that, that. Be filled with the Spirit. We talked about this even a few weeks back. It's be submitted to the Spirit. Be surrendered to the Spirit's leading. It's a, continue, it's a present continuous thing. It's not that we ever lose the Spirit. If you're a believer in God, you have the Spirit. But we must continually submit ourselves to His will. And look at one of the fruits or one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit is worship and song. We are singing to God. We talked about looking at passionate worship and spirit and truth truth with everything we have that it would be true but look at this text again verse 19 so we're filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart addressing one another or speaking to one another as we sing to the lord we are to sing to each other I, and i don't mean like turn as it's going, and just start to like sing to your neighbor. But as we're singing to the Lord, we're actually also singing to each other. Do you realize that? We hear one another. We encourage one another. I, I, I talked about this before. It's worth saying again, like some days, some weeks, maybe this week is it for you. You can barely make it here. It's so hard to get to church. Whatever trial, whatever thing's going on, maybe there's sin in your life that's messing it up. But you, you somehow you make it here, and then as the singing starts, you're like, I can't sing. My heart's not in the right place. And you're sitting there, but then as you hear the other people sing, I don't know why my voice went like that, when you hear the other people sing, it's like encouraging to the heart. It's actually in the same way that, that got your attention, that singing from other people, it just starts, you're like, what? And it warms your own heart to sing to the Lord. And just, just, again, I, and I think this is just this is a side note, but it's a, a note worth sharing again. That's why we, we shouldn't have been masked to sing. If I need to hear, sing to one another, I can't hear. Oh, oh, oh. I need to, like, hear my brother and sister. That's not something we, we gave up. 
And again, not pointing fingers, I'll say that again. Everyone made the best decisions we could, but I think that's one aspect. Again, we're just saying to one another, we never thought about that, fleshed that out. Again, this is the big thing. This is why we met. We have, as a church, even as we started, you know, all the restrictions happened and we just kept meeting and we kept gathering. And it was, we never gathered to like shake our fists at the government. We gathered to lift our, our hands, if, if you're comfortable doing that, or lift our voices to the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. We gather to worship. It's such, it's such a big thing. Like that, I think that's the most significant thing. We gather together, together for the Lord. And He is worthy. So church gathering is essential to praise God together. To practice the one another's. Just think about this, to practice the one another's, there are, in New Testament there are over 50 one another commandments. To practice the one another's, you need to be with one another. Right? Right? Just, just think about, I'm going to try to go through this a little quicker. Galatians 5.13, it, it says, through love, serve one another. Right? It, Remember in the Hebrews, if we are to spur one another on to love and good works, as we gather through love, we are to serve one another. You need to be together to serve one another. I think all the one another's, I think, I want to see happen here, sparked here, but they can't just stop here. It's actually, as the church scatters, we need to keep practicing the one another's. But Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, right? To to gather and see each other. You can see people who are burdened. You can see people who are just going through the ringer. You can go talk to them. You can listen to them. You can pray with them. Again, just as the shepherds and elders are to do that, I think each believer is to do that with each other. And think about the, the ministry of presence. I don't know if you ever heard that term of like just being with someone who's going through something. We don't always have to have a word. Silence is okay. Just being with that person. Ministering to them. It it doesn't transfer online. There's not a ministry of presence as you stare at each other in silence over a screen. You know what I mean? It's like someone's got to say something. This is how the technology works. But to just be with someone. Carry one another's burdens. Hebrews 5, uh, 13 to 12. So love one another. Carry one another's burdens. Hebrews 3, uh, 12 to 13. Remember, this, this was people who were considering leaving the faith. This exhortation, take care, brothers. It'd be brothers and sisters. Take care, Brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is why we need Christian fellowship. Our hearts can grow cold. Our hearts can grow hard. And so we need to exhort one another to love and good works. And that exhorting is actually like, man, you see something in someone's life, it's not good, it's not supposed to be there. So we need relationship in it, being able to do that. 
But we're called to do that because it seems this is implying that there's a hardening, a greater hardening in your heart that can happen if you're alone. And there's a softening that should happen as we're together. Of course, you still could be present as a gathering of the saints and just harden your heart. You could say, yeah, yeah, whatever. You give the outward appearance of worshiping inside. You're like, I want nothing to do with God. But the, he- the writer to Hebrews is we are to exhort one another as long as it's called today that our hearts wouldn't be hardened by sin. That's to happen as we gather together. I, th- I think so many people, and, and maybe it's your testimony, I don't know, who like, yeah, we were doing church online for however many years. You're like, how did that go for the health of your soul? We are to exhort one another daily. And again, this, this is a reminder. We can't just gather when, when things are going well, when we feel good. We especially need the body of Christ when things are falling apart, when we're feeling like we're down in the dumps. That's when we need to gather together. And it's hard. It's so, it's so easy to like everyone just put on your, your best smile. Everything's good. But man, we need each other when everything's bad and terrible. And we need to be able to come and be. We need the body. The next verse, it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage one another and build one another up. Friends, I can't give enough testimony to uh, the, the last few years and everything we've went to. I've, I've only survived because of the church gathering. Like in, in some days, in some weeks, in some months, it's like, man, this is, this is too hard. This is crazy. And it always, it was crazy. But it was the gathering together with people and hearing people sing and, and talking with people, weeping with one another, rejoicing with one another, praying with one another. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep going on. It was like this peace, this solace that's meant to be in a world of chaos. Okay, let's keep going. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another. Or more of the full verse. This is the scripture that we want to put in front of our connections team. We want to do this on a Sunday morning. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think many of us believe in the literal translation of scripture i don't know but it's so it's like this intimate greeting with one another greet one another i love that that's a it's part of our dna of our church because as we met as we prayed as we talked with each other then we'd stay and just visit stay and just visit seeing each other face to face before we went back to a world that was somewhere very different but the, the fellowship with one another the greet one another I, I i just love that even i'm locking up the church uh, after the service, I'll be kicking people out. We're always like, okay, guys, it's, it's time to go. People keep visiting. It's sweet. It's what we're called to do. Look at that, just slipping into the sermon and had a time. I don't know. Kicking people out. But I, I love the fellowship. Church gathering is essential to begin to practice the one another's baptism and communion. We practice back, baptism at our, as our church gathers. There's not a verse that demands where it takes place. I'd say it's very clear it's immersion. Jesus came up out of the water just as, 
as uh, Jesus was buried in the grave and raised to new life. That's baptism meant to be a picture of that. It's for believers. We see the pattern of that in, in the New Testament. And at our church, as maybe you've seen before, we have a person share their testimony, a short, just short version. And we baptize them in front of the congregation. A proclamation of faith. It encourages, it builds up the body. It's also kind of an act that demands accountability as we, when we witness people getting baptized. We have this connection. We see something in their life like, hey, I was there on the day you got baptized. You confess as a follower of the Lord. I, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up in that. Again, if there's anyone here today who God's calling them to be baptized, come talk to me after the service. Take that step of obedience. But I think that's something that happens as the church gathers for our encouragement. And think of the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to take here uh, in a little bit. Commune with who? In 1 Corinthians 11, I won't read it, but in, in verse 17 to 20, Paul is talking with the church at Corinth who were they're meeting, they're gathering. They weren't taking the Lord's Supper properly. They had this, this meeting, uh, this gathering where maybe like some people who had greater means were eating together, not waiting for the church. But three times from 17 to 20, he talks about when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. Again, the church is the church that gathers as he's correcting about the Lord's Supper. And then verse 28 and 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is being said there? It's this time of reflection before we take the Lord's Supper. And it's not just meaning in the service. We should actually be doing this outside of the service in anticipation, like, Lord, am I, am I right with you? Is there anything I have that I need to confess? And then it's someone who doesn't discern the body, the, the people that we're with, that we're gathering with, is there something you have against someone that you need to deal with, that I need to deal with? And the taking of communion is actually to build unity within the church. The taking of together. You know, I remember just like right away at the start in April 2020 or whatever and taking communion on a, to a screen. But did I take communion? I, didn't, I wasn't communing with the saints. I took bread. I took the cup. In faith, we were all apart. I think it meant, it's something, obviously, that we're meant to do together. Church gathering is essential to practice baptism, take communion together. And there's, there's more to the list, I'm sure, but for the sake of time, I just want you to see that church gathering is essential because when together the word is taught, shepherds can care. We sing to God. We begin to practice to one another as we baptize, take communion together. Friends, let us not neglect this. Let us prioritize this. But, but then we have to, I want us to think through this, and I, I pray I get your attention. What if the government told us not to meet? What if? Even as I wrote that down, I'm like, five years ago, that would have been a weird statement. Five years ago, we were like, we would have like, why are you talking about that? What are you talking about? We don't live in China. We, here's the deal, though. None of us have ever, ever had to think through that before. We never had to think through what are the lines and where do you, 
Where can they be crossed? Where can they not be crossed? And again, I, I don't want to point fingers. I'm not pointing fingers at any church or any people. Nobody had a handbook on how to walk through the past number of years. But I want us to think through this. Now, uh, at this point in time, looking back, I've, I've been reading a book by a Chinese house church leader. It's called Faithful Disobedience. Right? Because he belongs to a church that is not registered with the government, therefore it's illegal every time they meet. It's always illegal. And he's like, hey, and so he's wrestling through theologically, how can that be? Very interesting read. He's in jail now. I think as of, as of 2019. So I want us to just think through this here for a moment. I won't be able, to, be able to articulate this perfectly. Maybe someone might not agree, but listen to me. I'd appreciate that. What if the government again said not to me? Do they have an authority in the church to dictate that? I want Just think about this. Think about spheres of authority. Where we talk about everyone having their lane. Spheres of authority, places where the government has authority. And I'm thinking of three different categories that you could go to four the government, a civil authority, uh, the church, the home. And I think you could also make the case for individual uh, authority having its own sphere, but I won't touch on that here this morning. Think about civil government. If someone came to Ottawa and said, hey, who's in charge here? They would go to the parliament building, the elected officials. Right? Hey, well, we're, we're the ones making the decisions. I couldn't just on my phone like send a text and, hey, I want to change this law and make it happen. Let's go. That's not the way it works. They have the authority. Of course, we have uh, represented elected officials, at least in theory. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, i got to watch the, the side comments. Forgive me. But we, we see that the government has authority over many things. But my, my thing I want to press you on, they don't have authority over everything. Think of the home. Again, maybe police knock on the door. Who's in charge here? If it's maybe just a single person, they're, they're all, I, I'm in charge here. It's my home. If you're married, from a biblical standpoint, we would believe that the husband is the head of the home. It's like, the husband is, hey, I, I'm in charge here. What's, what's the problem? There's an authority within the home that the government doesn't have authority over. Like, just think about this. If you had a stranger kind of come into your place telling you where to put your furniture and how to organize your fridge, you're like, what are you doing here? You don't have authority in my home. That's why it was so crazy when the government says, hey, you can't have anyone in your house. It's wrong. It's not their place. It's not their sphere of authority. Again, think of the church. And if a police kind of came in, I don't know why I keep picking on the police. could be someone else, but hey, who's in charge here? See, well, it's the elders. Biblically speaking, as we look in the New Testament, as our church is structured, it's uh, elders who are, are put in place to make decisions and seek to do what's best for the health and practice of the church. Again, it wasn't the place of the government to dictate to the church if we can meet or not, how we are to meet, and we are, what we are to do to meet. It wasn't their sphere of authority. Friends, I, I want to remind you here again this morning, Colossians, Christ is over all. And even as I talk about these 
spheres of authority, of course, there's overlap amongst them all. I'll talk on that here in a second. But I want to remind you of this verse in Colossians 1, 15 to 18, speaking of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is over all. He's over the government. He's over our homes. He's over the church. And each will be held accountable by him. And of course, we don't yet see that in its fullness. His rule and reign, we're anticipating again the second coming of Jesus Christ. But look again, verse 18 at the start. He is the head of the body, the church. God decides if gathering is essential or not. Even as we think through this, again, this isn't like a pass to break laws. You're like, hey, no authority over the home, no authority over the church. No, we do have Romans 13, we do have 1 Peter 2. We are called to obedience to governing authorities as powers that God has ordained as long as it doesn't go against God and his word. In, in matters of the church, though, that's not the government's lane or sphere of authority. I hope you can see these spheres of authority as we quickly talk about them. For sure, there's overlap. The government doesn't name your kids. Households don't make laws in the land. And government officials don't get to decide the value of the church gathering. God does. And we just have to maybe pause for a second and just think uh, a government, a society that really doesn't hold to God being overall, made decisions and said your physical needs trump everything. Wow, think about that for a second. From a spiritual standpoint, someone who, who is amazingly fit, who always eats their, their vegetables, I think that's still a good thing, right? Like, it's, like has, is nailing it health-wise. Doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Dies and, and spends eternity in hell. And I, I, I think we can get in trouble. We put spiritual over health, but for sure, health is not over spiritual. And look at the problems that we cause by just having one thing being the dominating thing. But again, in the church, as we get together to encourage each other spiritually, as we know we're, we're physical, we're spiritual beings, to close that down, it wasn't their place. So I hope you've seen as we looked at that the church, the gathering, is essential. As elders, our desire is to meet, to gather regularly, weekly. We're creating a statement of, of faith, put in our, our doctrine. But again, I just want to stop here for a second. What if you can't make it? What if you can't make it to church? I want to pause here for a moment. Think of exceptions and just speak on grace. Maybe for some, you're not physically able to make it. God, God has grace for that. Maybe if, you, if you're sick, a sickness that's contagious, right? Like you, and we trust everyone to make that call. Right? Like if you're like, you're down and out, you got the flu, you're like, hey, maybe you should stay home this week. That's okay. 
If you have a little cough, you're like, it's all right. Come and worship. I don't know. Maybe it's a, you just have a lack of sleep. You've been just pushing really hard, and you shouldn't. You should try to find balance, but sometimes it's like, man, I'm like, I can't even keep my eyes open. You need to sleep. There's grace. For those who, who work shifts, do your best with your schedule. If you're traveling, if there's a blizzard, God forbid we'd say such a word. <laughs> right? Like, like if there's some extreme weather and we're not able to meet. And I know there's a host of other reasons. Right? It's, it's not that like, okay, hey, we keep meeting, we keep meeting. We're like, we're so pleasing to God. We're earning it. No, we're not earning our salvation. We get to meet. We get to gather. We get to encourage one another. And if something prohibits you from doing that, like there's grace for you. But I hope you can see that's essential to growing, to maturing as a believer. Friends, there's, there's grace upon grace. And even in, in sharing this message, the gathering of the church is essential. It's not to heap judgment, but I hope through teaching to bring clarity, exhortation, encouragement. And maybe sometime in the future, you know, God willing not, but it seems like we'll, we'll come up against this again. As a church, our desire will be to gather in person. And, and if you're like, I'm, I'm not comfortable, there, there's grace for you. Right? We were saved by grace through faith, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we, if we could maybe disagree on some of these uh, issues, man, it doesn't affect our standing before the Lord. There is grace, but I, I hope you can see from this message from our sharing, from our church history, we as leaders see the gathering of the church to be essential to our spiritual health. We will find ways to meet in person, to worship the Lord. He is worthy. Again, just going back to Hebrews to finish. Let's look at that text again just as we finish. Thank you for your patience. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We gather again to remind each other, God is faithful. God is faithful. Keep going. Keep holding your confession. 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I pray the gathering of the church will help each of us grow in our ability to love and to do the work God has for us in and out of the church. That as we develop friendships with each other, as we spend time with each other, pray for each other, it overflows into love and good works. That's what's meant to happen. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Don't neglect the gathering. And even if you're hearing this, my hope is it's just an encouragement. And if, I don't know what faithfulness looks like to you, if you're like, man, we're struggling to get one out of six. Maybe it's two out of six that you come and you gather together. If you're like, hey, we kind of making two out of four Sundays we get together. Hey, maybe try to get another Sunday. There are many here who are, who are just faithful and, and, and I love it and encourage my heart. We see you week after week. I pray for all of us that every time that we get together, every time that we gather, that we're being built up, that we're being encouraged, that God's work is furthered through our gathering together. Because, friends, keep going. Because what does it say? 
Let, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day the return of Christ. We should actually increase our gathering together to encourage one another to keep going, to keep persevering in the, in the faith as we see the day approaching. I, I read in Scripture, it, it seems like before Jesus returns, things are going to get worse. They'll get darker. But I believe as the church gathers, His light again will shine brighter. But we need each other. We cannot neglect it. Increasingly, as our culture is like, we don't follow God. We don't follow His ways. So as we come together, as we sing songs, we open up His Word. Now we need to hear that. We need to see it. We need to keep going. We need to be reminded. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. God will do it. God will keep us. As we sang this morning, He will hold us fast. So friends, by God's grace and in His mercy, Let's keep gathering until the day Christ returns. May he do his work in us and through us. May you bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh God, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. I pray that is which is from you. May we remember, may we walk in that which is from me. May it fall to the side. I pray we would have a growing conviction uh, biblically, Lord, of the church gathering. I pray you'd help us to articulate with kindness and grace to others, even as we, we never wrestled through this before. Help us to think more clearly on this subject. I pray for churches in Canada, help us to grow in our understanding of the importance of the gathering of your church, O oh Lord. Have mercy in the church in Canada, O oh Lord. Just in your kindness, allow us to see you and know you in greater ways, O oh Lord. So seal this word in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.